out here on this Wednesday evening, all the way through this half this week. Praise the Lord for your faithfulness. What a blessing and courage has been. For those who have been praying for us throughout the chapel services, God has been blessing in that. You know, it's God's been, you know, it's just been amazing. The receptiveness that's been there. You know, uh, by the grace of God, I'm going to preach my guts out. But, you know, sometimes or another, you just wonder what exactly the fruit may be. But you thank God when you see that fruit and different things. And the young people have done a fantastic job listening, paying attention and whatnot. And y'all as well during the evening service. Services, and which I'm so amazingly grateful for. And uh, Pastor already had me introduced my friend to you. I guess we have different folks been visiting. I'm sure he probably wanted to come in under the radar and not be said or seen, but he doesn't know, man. If you're Adrian's friend, man, you got somebody he's he going to talk about you anyway. <laughs> anyway, but all with the ministry that, they, that God has for uh, Brother Wall, you know, I, I don't, obviously, I'm, not a, I'm just a nobody, um, but I believe God's hands on him. And uh, by the grace of God, anyway, that y'all, by the just already showed him such love and compassion, different things, and just gracious. That I mean, just great that he came and visited us here. Uh, it's always an honor, you know, when people make their way out of their way. Anytime, I love, you know, the ministry and the family of God. Isn't it great um, when you see those things come together? Just a little, little bit of a glimpse of heaven and what it's going to be all about. You know, I told the teens this morning. Um, that there were certain things that you could speak on, um, that afterwards people might come to you and they might hit you on the shoulder and say, hey brother, you know, that really kind of stepped on my toes right there. And there are some messages that you can preach where they're not even going to talk to you at the end of the message <laughs> because of the fact of it really hits close to home. I am not speaking on that main topic, but I'm speaking on one that is very close. You know, I, we were going through and answering different questions, and I guess was we were thinking about this in particular, I want to talk about a big hindrance to revival. I know that's very vague, very broad, uh, but it's a big one. We're going to take our Bibles and we're going to go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. I'll give you half an hour to find it, but you should find it eventually. Ezekiel chapter number 16 is where we're going to be. Ezekiel chapter number 16. And uh, if I were to do some Bible trivia as a kid, um, or growing, even a teenager, one of the things I loved is when the pastor said, we're going to do a sword drill. I enjoyed sword drills, loved to find the passes, the fastest. I also love Bible trivia. And so for all the Bible trivia people out there, you know, I want you to go back in your mind and I want you to think about two cities that are very famous in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah. Those two cities obviously God destroyed for their wickedness. And even though as odd as it may seem this evening, I am going to talk about the sin of those cities. It seems to me that Adrian, that seems very outrageous on a Wednesday evening to talk about something that is so out there vile that the city was destroyed for. Adrian, should I Talk to my kids. Should I have them leave? Well, well, Adrian, are you really going down this path? Well, don't jump to conclusions. Because I do want to talk about the sin of Sodom. But it's not what you may think. You see, in Ezekiel, God has rained down different judgments upon different, different cities. And explaining the reasons why certain things were happening in Ezekiel chapter number 16, he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. So 
I wanted you to turn here because I don't want you to think I'm just reading. So, so Ezekiel chapter number 16, verse number 49, the Bible says this. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. God hates pride. God hates pride. You, you see, when I, when I say that word, pride, here's what immediately sometimes we think. We kind of put it as a personality that people have. People who are very loud and people who are very much center of attention during a party, they struggle with pride. People who are quiet are people who are humble. So if I'm loud, I'm prideful. If I'm quiet, then I I am humble. And it can be the exact opposite. Somebody who can be as quiet as can be can be the most arrogant person in the house. You see, it's not a personality thing. I understand clearly. I know that when we think of pride, it's the saying the word I a lot. And, And I understand that that is an aspect of pride. However, I want us to think, I, I, and again, this is just a definition that I've come up with. I see it consistently as I go through scripture. And I believe pride is any attempt to take glory or honor that belongs to God and bring it to myself. That means any glory or honor that belongs to God, I then take it upon myself. And my friend, the thing that's so scary about pride is because many times it has its arms all the way around our neck before we even realize it. In fact, I read that passage, but I really want us to go to the text that we're going to be preaching from. It's from a different passage to whom I find, and this is just a personal thing, I think, okay? I'm going to go to whom I think is one of the most arrogant men in the Bible. Now, obviously, the most arrogant would be the devil, okay? He wins. But as far as a human being, the most arrogant person. Now... I know that many of us think Nebuchadnezzar, how God judged him. Maybe even think about when, remember, Herod was eaten by worms <laughs> because of the fact he gave glory to himself instead of God. But, but see, the reason why I'm choosing the person I'm getting ready to choose is because when I tell you who it is, you're going to take two steps back and say, really? That's the point. It's because it's so hidden sometimes. And, 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 and I can work, and I can function. It's almost like having a functional headache. Does it distract? Well, yeah. But can you work through it? Yeah. Can you have pride and kind of do your thing? Yeah. Can you have pride and do visitation? Yeah. Can you go through and, and be nice to people and shake hands and have pride? Yeah. But sometimes, as you look at this matter about pride, it's so sneaky. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. I will find the most arrogant man in the Bible that we find is a prodigal son's brother, his older brother. Luke 15, Luke 15. Some of you know the story, so let's catch up. Luke 15, as you turn to Luke 15, you might know the story of the prodigal son. 
Remember, there was a guy who asked for his inheritance early. It was an insulting thing to do to his father, but however, he did it anyway. He took the money, and the Bible says that he went out and he spent it on riotous living. Now, let's be very clear. We like to put a whole lot of little exclamation points and things. What the kid did, the Bible said he was just wasteful. It didn't say he partied hardy and different. I mean, we, we, we read a lot into the text, but he just went there and he was wasteful with the money that he had. He spent his entire inheritance, spending his entire hand. The Bible says no man gave to him. So that means he came to the point, couldn't get a job, couldn't get anything to resources, and he had to go. And as he was there, he took a job that barely was able to make him be able to have him to be able to eat. He was then contemplating eating the pig food. He came to a census and says, if I go beg my dad for forgiveness, he at least will make me a servant. If I am a servant, I at least will have food. And he goes back home. And it seems like a sweet story. Kind of like if this was a movie, we all cry at the end right there. We see the dad bring the kid back home. We see him give him a hug. We see all the party that would happen. But the story does not end there. He has a brother. Luke chapter number 15. I guess it would help if I turned there. <laughs> Here we go. Verse number 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. I title it this, The Pride I Hide. Inside. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible and what you teach us. Well, this monster so much rears his head as I try to walk with you. So easy to start diverting glory to myself instead of thee. I pray that you just empty me of myself and fill me with thy spirit that I might say what you'd have me to say. My personal preferences and prejudices, Lord, be drowned. May your word and your spirit be exalted. Use this time that we have together. Meet the needs, Lord, that I don't even know about. By faith, I preach your word. I trust you, Father, that you know what's best, and I'm obeying you. So bless the obedience. Bless an unworthy vessel. In Christ's name we pray it all. Amen. As you look at this passage here, I want to bring out the story. So the story 
as you just read and read and read the story again, you get the picture. The, older, the younger brother has come home. So he's over here. There's a younger brother and the dad. They're hugging. They're, they're, they're excited. And then they're having a party. They're playing music. It is so loud, the excitement coming, that actually over all the way in the field, the older brother can hear it. So as he's doing his daily chores, he stops and he looks over to see what is happening. He doesn't know. A a servant comes, we find, when you read the passage, comes out to him. In some way or another, he calls him and says, Hey, your brother's back, man. He's come home. Isn't it great? Come on. And as he's running back, he kind of looks, Your brother's back. (laughs) He's not coming. Okay. (laughs) He goes and he gets the dad. The father comes out. He looks at the son's son. Your brother's back. Now, up to this point, the kid has said nothing that we read in Scripture. Basically, silent treatment of, you know, the father comes out. The word word entreat. He's entreating. He's begging him. Go say something to your brother. Go back to the house. We say hi. But as he's here, you find the first thing that pride does. Look what it does. And verse 28, his first response, and he was angry and would not go in. I got the passage. He got angry before the servant, I'm sorry, and then he spoke later on to the father. So anyway, in the first, verse 28, he became angry. Now, as you look at this, the servant's then coming out. Now, the first response that he has as he's looking over there is not what you think a natural thing would be this. I wonder how he's doing. Does he have any kids? Is he in good health? Is everything going all right for him? No, his first response is anger. You know the first thing pride destroys? Relationships. Relationships. Yeah. As you look at the relationship between him and his brother, it, it, you, you see that for the principle to which he held, That guy went out there and ruined our family name. That guy went out there and he did his wickedness. He had his phone and now he wants to come up in here and act like nothing's happened. And the Bible says that he became angry. You see, he was not willing to accept someone whom the father had already accepted. He was not willing to come to the point where even though God, who in this picture here, God is the forgiver, we are still going to be ones to be God. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers. As he looked at his brothers, he said this, am I in the place of God? God is the one who inflicts and the one who then gets vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But sometimes with pride, we want to be the one that inflicts the vengeance. We want to be the one to make them pay. I sat with teenagers so many times. I, and they, they've been hurt by their parents, so legitimately so. They have been hurt. And so they tell me, Brother Adrian, I am not going to answer their text messages. I am not going to listen to his phone calls. My dad's going to know how it felt for someone to walk out on him. I'm not going to answer 
Nazareth. See, see, what they're trying to do is be God. What they're trying to do is make them pay. There are some spouses in here that are still going back and forth and back and forth because she did this years ago and we still don't think she's paid for it enough. And so we still got a couple jabs and we still got a couple things because we are going to be the ones to make them pay. That is pride. It's interesting. When I, I started preaching at 16, and at 17, 18, as I was preaching, by default, since I was young, I preached to young people, preached junior churches and, you know, camps for young people. And then as I got older, things changed and began, and just naturally, the morphed ministry. It's not like I ever changed anything. It just happened to be the way it was. And I remember the first time I was doing, you know, vacation Bible schools and I'd go to the playground, the kids would be fighting, and you would see this scene go on. A little child, a little child fighting. Leave me alone. I can't stand you. You're not my friend anymore. And I remember walking away and rolling my eyes. Wow. I can't wait till I preach to teenagers and leave this drama behind. <laughs> Start preaching to teenagers. Then who wouldn't be at the playground, be by somebody's car, one girl's crying, makeup, mascara everywhere. I don't want to talk to you again. Stay out of my life. I hate you. And she gets in the car. I can't wait till I preach to adults and leave this drama behind. (laughs) Do you know what's crazy, preacher? I go to churches and they grown people can't even look at each other. Grown people go to the same church. You see, they're grown people who go down the aisle and at Walmart see somebody and turn their little buggy and go somewhere else. It's pride. It is pride. See, 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 at the roots. Of all these things. Of make, and, see, and see, that's why it's so crazy. And that's why it's so deceptive. Because it's sometimes it's mass. You got an anger problem. Well, maybe so. You got a beard problem. Well, yeah, maybe so. But let me tell you the root of all that, honey, is pride. It always destroys relationships. Not only just with others, but with God himself. What, what the, Bible, the Bible says, uh, um, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Do you know what's interesting about that passage? Is, um, it, it, it says, God resisteth the proud. Well, that word is an interesting word because it's an interesting word picture in this word. See, see, what happens is what you got going on is you have on one side, you got the world, you got the flesh, you got the devil, and they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting against you over here. And here you are, you're trying to live the Christian life, and you're trying to, you know, stand up. But thank God you have God on your side. Great as he is in you that he's in the world. And here's God Almighty right here, and here's me. I'm tunkered right I'm right underneath that. You've got to go through him first, you know. And here I am, and here I am. I'm going to get a battle. I'm going to battle. Just all these things. You know what God says, though? God resisteth the proud. You know what word means? That word means put yourself in array against. So, so, so here's the picture. Here we are, fighting. Here's all the world, all the temptations of the world. And here's God, and I, here I am. But the moment I become prideful, here's God Almighty. I now am fighting against God. We will never take God's glory from him. 
And the moment you try to put your big big boy pants on and take his job is the day you begin battle with God. Because I resist the proud. But I give grace to the humble. Not only does it story relationships, so, okay, I jumped ahead. So we continue the story. He was angry. So he told that he was angry at the servant, with the servant. So he didn't say anything, Mr. Silent treatment over here, and then came his father out and entreated him. And then the boy talked, in verse 29. He answering and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. First we see he destroys relationships, and now we see he destroys his perspective. Now, listen to, listen to the young man speak. So the dad's here. He's told him to go. He's entreating and begging him to go see his, his brother. He does it, and he looks at his dad. Dad, I've been here forever. Never once have I violated your commandment. Never once have I let you down. But as soon as this thy son has come home, which has done all these foolish things, you throw him a party. Now, he's going off that. Do you, do you know what? It changes, it changes even your perspective and gives us an us and them mentality. You hear what the kid says. I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything right. I have always been here for you. You know what? Um, let's note this. You will hate this illustration. I understand that. But hear me out at least. Okay? Because I do believe... I do believe that when we have this us and them mentality, it destroys a lot that we don't even realize it destroys. Here's the illustration. Let's pretend you have a track in your pocket. You go to the store. You walk to the store. You're checking, you know, the lady's over there. She's doing your groceries or whatever. And that happens all the time. But specifically, God kind of, you lock eyes and God tells you, speaks to your heart. Give her a track. Seems to be about 45 years old. Seems to be, uh, you know, trying to get some extra little money and different things. I'm saying, and here you are, you have a track, and God tells you, lays on your heart again, to witness to this lady at Walmart. That is scenario A. Let's move to scenario B. Um, before I did full time what I did now, I, I used to work at Rock of Ages Prison Ministry. Um, so you might be familiar with it. Um, I used to be working at juvenile detention centers and uh, traveled the uh, country doing that. And uh, part of that time, there's this, there's, this, there's this one place where the Rock of Ages prison evangelists went. And uh, it was a, a mod that everyone inside of the mod was not guilty of murder, but guilty of multiple murders. In fact, the officer let us know that before you enter into this room, just so you know, the people you are working with, one guy took his son, who was seven years old, and dropped him from a building. And did it more than once. Until the son died. Letting them know that the animals you are getting ready to work, and that's how they refer to the animals you're getting ready to work with inside this room. That is scenario B. Okay? Which one is harder? Scenario A. Tell this lady at Walmart, tell her about Jesus Christ. Tell this man over here, who has done unspeakable things about Christ. There's not a person in this room who's going to not say that man and those men deserve to go to hell. And you are correct. So does that lady. 
hear me close. But sometimes as Christians, here's what we do. We walk around with a monopoly on the gospel. And we share it who we feel like sharing it with. And don't share it who we don't feel like sharing it with. So if I can deem them in my mind undeserving, it then removes my responsibility. I am in no way sugarcoating the absolute atrocities committed over here. But I am saying as Christians that we are not to live by sight. I am saying as Christians that somehow or another supernatural love of God has to come pouring out of us that we see people beyond what their hands are guilty of and even have done and see that that is a soul who Christ has died for. Or we could do this. I've never transgressed thy commandment, not like him. I have never committed such crimes, not like them. Were it for the grace of God. Every single one of us would be in some nonsense. You have your flesh and my flesh is as capable to do as much foolishness as any person you read on the news today. If it weren't for grace. You know, I know Brother Bill's going to be here, but I don't think you know this. I don't go to many pastors' fellowships. I don't. Um, it's a long stories why. I don't prefer to. And, and I, sometimes I remember and not putting things every past fellowship is like this. I'm just saying the, this is what prompted me. Sometimes people wonder, Adrian, do you have a Spanish family member or something that you um, are burdened for? And, and then you began to go to Central America. Adrian, how did it start? Where did God begin doing it in your heart? You know, kind of, kind of odd, you know? You got a black dude from Moorhead City, North Carolina, from the south, going all the way over to Central America, kind of like, uh, how does this work exactly? You know, and taking, cup, taking part of your schedule and going down there, we'll be in Honduras, you know, even later on, how did that all get to bed? I'll tell you how. Remember sitting in a table years ago in ministry, bunch of pastors sitting around. This is back when, you, <laughs> man, immigration laws, different things, everybody got their opinion and stuff on it, so we're all sitting around and we're eating our food and, you know, one guy pops up, hey, man, how's your church doing over there, brother? Oh, things are going all right. Things are going all right. But you know what happened the other day, brother? They are coming to our church now. It poked my, perked my interest. Who are the they that are coming to your church? Yeah, come on up in here. Can't even speak English. Here we go. Trying to do stuff and can't do activities and different things. I could care less where you stand on immigration. But there are people who are here whom Christ has died for. And our ridiculous, stinking, arrogant attitude of looking at other groups of people and seeing them somehow less is pride. If you're a defense attorney, the first thing you would want to do is devalue and discredit the witness. If you want somebody not to believe them, if you want somebody to doubt, you want the jury to doubt them, discredit them. Take identity away. 
Make them a them. Make people groups of they. Those young, those people. For me, it was the kids from the trailer park. It was the kids from my neighborhood. It was the ones from Southside. You see, th these terminologies get us to the point. They're not like us. Not like us. It's them. It is pride. And we will be held accountable for the people that God has placed at our doorstep. And yet for no other reason except for sinful prejudice, we have ignored them. You look at this story. And even though you read this man's life and his testimony, you see this man is eaten with pride. I say this gently. But it also affects our witness, especially because sometimes I ask myself, why is it, Adrian, that people don't know Christ who are around me? And sometimes the sad truth is it's because of pride. It's not because you didn't go through soul winning class. It's not because you don't know the Romans road inside and out. Um, sometimes I value my own comfort over a soul. I was thinking about this. It's a fair question, I believe. I don't know how long this has been your church, but think about the place. If you've been saved longer than 10, 15 years, think of the place you've had, you have served the longest. You go to that church on a Sunday morning, you sit down. As you sit down on a Sunday morning at that church, and you look around, is there anybody whom your life has impacted that they are there because of you? 15 years? 15 years? 20 years? I'm not saying every single one came to Christ. Maybe they moved. Maybe the person moved. Maybe that family's not there. But in 20 years, my life has no way impacted somebody else to the point they have become a disciple of Reevaluation must take place. I remember what a challenge it was. Brother Warren, he lives in, uh, wow, is it Ohio, Indiana. He was diagnosed with CPOD, is that what he was diagnosed with? He was given about, I can't remember, months to live. And as he was given that time, he had retired. And uh, because of his disease, he knew he couldn't do much. He was limited in what he did. So what he did, he was, again, he was an older guy. He went to Speedway. He just stood in front of Speedway. And uh, as people would walk in with their kids, he was a very personable guy. He'd be like a grandpa to all the kids. And he would say, hey, he'd ask the dad, hey, your kids are looking at that, those little candies. Can I buy it for them? Can I buy it? And he would literally just buy snacks and drinks for people. He would get like a preload a hundred dollar car and just buy coffee for people. He would just come in and for months just, just go in. He just he just there and buy coffee. Now people are just go, what are you doing? Are you that bored? And he started then being a witness to those people. You know, people in church, even when I was there, because of what he calls the speedway ministry. He is there every day. 
It is so easy to say, can't do that. You know, got these knees, can't go there. Find a way. Find something that God can use your life and invest it in someone, somewhere. The Lord's extended his life beyond the time he thought. And he is there every day except Sunday. Just buying coffee and talking to kids. I look at this text and I see not only does a pride destroy relationships, it also destroys our perspective, how we see ourselves in comparison to others. But lastly, I'm going to go through this quickly, but in verse 30, it destroys our interpretation of life and situations and conflict. I'm just going to move these really quickly. Look what he says here. I want you to understand his answers that he gives. Verse 30, he says this, but as soon as this, thy son What's come? Listen to the wording. It's a, number one, a detaching view. It's always someone else's fault. He is not saying that's my brother. He is saying to the dad, this is your son. This is, I have claimed no responsibility. I claim no effort within his life. The decisions that he made are his decisions, and it's you and him all by yourselves, the nonsense that is caused by this young man, a detaching view. It's so easy to look at our people and say, you know what, if my spouse were more this, then that means I would do more for God. If I tell my pastor more like this, then I would do better for God. If this person more like this, a better friend to me, then I tell you I'd do more for God. You see, it's always a detaching. It's always something else. I see, when we say this, Sometimes a spouse will say, you know what, I, I, I sure would love my husband more if he loved me right. If, if I sure, my wife, I, I sure loved them right if, if it was reciprocated or whatever. Listen to me. Listen to ourselves talk. So the perfect love of Jesus Christ, only if Jesus loved you right, I bet you you'd serve him, wouldn't you? And only if he loved you perfectly, I bet you love him, sir. I bet you give him your all, wouldn't it? I tell you, if he was to be the one to sacrifice everything, including his life, I bet you'd do everything for him. Let's not be foolish. Sometimes it's so easy to get our even our focus and the way we interpret life. And when we look at it through a pride screen, it changes everything. Not only does he have a detaching view, but he has a degrading view. Look what he says. As soon as that son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Now look, from the passage, we do not read any of this. The Bible says right, it's wasteful. He was wasteful with his money. Now, I know we like to tell our stories. That kid went out there, party hardy, and did a whole bunch of foolish things and did some dumb things, got in all sin. That's, that's some, some liberties you are using. This brother's the one who said it. You know what's about pride? I call it degrading view. It always sees the worst in people. He doesn't even know what the brother did. He didn't even know what he was involved in. But yeah, he went out there to vow to live with Harley. Yes, sir. See those young people there? Yeah, hanging out that parking lot? Yeah, they're up to no good over there. You don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, I saw them talking at the church. Yeah. Yeah, I can already tell you what they're going to say about me. It is always assuming the worst. So much could be said there, but not only degrading view, but demeaning view. Verse number 29. Answer, he said, look to his... Um, Though he said to his father, many years have I served thee, need to transgress I at any time thy commandment. And he says this, yet thou never gavest me a kid. Do you know what's interesting? A demeaning view, I, I say like this, is there's always a complaint about something. Preacher shook her hand, didn't shake mine. 
Brother so-and-so got a little announcement, got a little love in church. I didn't get any love in church when I did that for preacher. Tell you what, last time I was there, somebody else brought that umbrella for me. They didn't get the umbrella. There's always something. Because pride says I'm never appreciated enough. People are always after me. I am such a low person on the totem pole. Do you not see how all these things all wrap up around this little thing of thinking that I should be more than I am? And it's pride. Destroys our interpretation of, of life and situations and conflict. Verse 31, 32, and then we're done. The father corrects every one of his accusations. The father says, and he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. Remember who you are in Christ. Number 32. It was meet that we should be married. It is right. It is appropriate that we should celebrate that your brother is back. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We celebrate the fact of the miracle that happened. We don't rejoice in the sin that he has done or may have done, which we don't know. We are going to rejoice in the fact that he is back. Some people might not even come to the house of God because they know they got to pay the piper before they can ever get forgiven. They got to go admit this and go admit that and go admit this over here. And there's these kids that will never come back because of this little fear of all the things that will come on. Fine, I'm not saying that sin does not need to be handled. I am not saying that sin does not need to be taken care of. What I am saying is we need to let God do it. We are not God. Bible says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Here's the whole point in an illustration, and I'm done, okay? I know it's not a happy message. I get it. Because it's so scary because pride is the very thing that's going to stop you from taking care of pride in your life. It's, it's kind of the odd dynamic of why it's so important. It's, it's a catch-22. What are you going to do? Um, Mrs. Uh, Francine already knows this, but I love sweet tea. <laughs> and uh, even when they stop the refrigerator for us, they put plenty of it inside Let's just say that uh, um, Brother Shula over here has a large pitcher of sweet tea in his hand. Let's say I have a cup and it's filled with water to the top. I'm drinking my water. I'm looking around. I'm drinking my water, kind of still filled up. I look over there and I see Brother Shula has some sweet tea. I say, well, amen. I walk over to Brother Shula. I say, Brother Shula, can I, can I have some of that sweet tea you got? And him being the kind heart, so he is. He said, Brother Aiden, sure thing. Sure thing. I put my cup right there in his face and I said, give me some sweet tea, brother. Give me some sweet tea. You know, I'm smiling. I'm excited. And I want it. Well, she looks at me and said, well, got his hand ready to go. He looks at that cup of water filled to the top and he says, uh, well, Brother Adrian, I, <laughs> I'd certainly be happy to give you some, but uh, you got to pour the water out first. <laughs> you pour the water out, obviously I can give you some sweet tea. Aiden, that's silly. You know what's more silly? Oh, God, fill my life. Oh, God, fill my life. Oh, God, my family. Oh, God, you got to help my family. Lord, Lord you got to do something. You got to do a work. You got to mix things up. My wife is it, man, things are getting kind of on the rocks. My kids ain't talking to me like they should. Lord, you need to fill. Lord, we need your work. And God can't fill something that's already full. 
God can't live somewhere where someone else is already living. You've listened to me preach. Before I preach, you will hear a reoccurring statement in my prayer. God emptied me of myself. Because I am full of myself. And I know it. It's not what I want. There are things I want to say. There's just points I want to make. And I have to ask God every day of my life. Keep Adrian down. And keep Christ lifted up. Because this pride monster, baby, will tear up your life. The pride that I hide inside. Let's pray.